the age old like Warren Buffett approach, which is like, you know, your rule number one is don't lose money. Rule number two is don't lose money. Rule number three is don't lose money. Um, it actually does apply here because it's, it's when you look at a person's trajectory in life, like the amount of passive income that a person can bring into their in, uh, into their estate really de depends on how they treat the income that they already have. This is The Fighting Entrepreneur, the podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs looking to change the world. Learn how to start, build, and scale a business in today's highly competitive business environment. Here's your host, The Fighting Entrepreneur, Anik Singhal. What's up, you crazy fighting entrepreneurs? Guess who it is? Your favorite person in the whole wide world, Anik Singhal, back with another fighting episode. Today, I've got with me Mr. Taylor. All right, you are going to learn some tremendous things from him because, well, he's a damn smart person. And I'm telling you right now, so today's topic is gonna to be how to generate $100,000 a month in passive income. He's gonna be giving me advice, you get to listen in. For those of you who follow this podcast or follow any of my stuff, especially on the Facebook group very closely, you know I'm on this journey right now to generate passive income, all right? Now, I've made a lot of money in my past. And lately what I'm realizing is the money that's made from money. When money makes money, nothing beats that. That's what the episode today is about. Listen, make sure you listen to all of our other episodes, onicpodcast.com. If you're listening to this on YouTube, make sure you click subscribe right now and leave a comment below and click the thumbs up icon. And if you're on any other podcast channel or any other medium of podcast, make sure you leave us a great review and hit subscribe. Last but not least, learn, L-U-R-N.com. Go join the revolution of entrepreneurs. We are all sticking together, working together, helping one another. There's a lot of free courses there, so go to learn, L-U-R-N.com, make it happen right now. All right, so without further ado, Taylor has now developed over six eight-figure brands. He has a, he's, got a, he's got two different headquarters in two different states. He's got over 200 people on his staff. I'd say he knows a thing or two about building a business, but the, the thing I can really tell you is, I don't know if it was four months ago, five months ago, six months ago, I caught a post he made um, that caught my attention. And it made me pay closer attention. I've known Taylor for a long time, but this made me pay closer attention. And that was, he said, passive income is the best kind of income. And for me, because I've been so focused on that, it caught my attention. And then shortly thereafter, I saw a tweet where he said, hey, I just crossed $100,000 a month in passive income. And that really got my attention because it happens to be my freaking goal. Now I'm pretty close, but I thought it would be great to get Taylor on, to get, ask him some questions, to let you listen in. And I kind of want to know how he's doing it, what he's buying, where the passive income's coming from and what he suggests uh, we all do. My favorite thing about Taylor though, is when I asked him, hey, what do you want me to say about you when I introduce you? Is he said, look, I love people and I'm focused on teaching people how to make their income matter, how to create impact. That's huge because that, and I'll tell you one thing, that only comes from someone who's made a lot of money. For example, for me, I've made a lot of money and all of a sudden I look back and I'm like, man, it's all about impact. It's all about change. It's all about helping people. So you know he's done it when that's the advice he gives. So without further ado, help me welcome to this podcast, Taylor. Taylor, man, thanks for being here. I am so excited uh, to, for this episode. I feel like we are overdue because we talk all the time. Uh, it, every, every month or so, we're in each other's inboxes and uh, we've talked about this before, but it finally made sense for us to, to do this conversation. So I am glad to be here. Yeah, man. Uh, I agree completely. So listen, let's just jump right to the, let, 
this is my opening question to you and you could take it from here and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth. But Taylor, I want to make a hundred thousand dollars a month passively. You're doing it. What, what should I do? What would you tell someone about how to get there? So the, the, the age old, like Warren Buffett approach, which is like, you know, your rule number one is don't lose money. Rule number two is don't lose money. Rule number three is don't lose money. Um, it actually does apply here. Cause it's, it's, when you look at a person's trajectory in life, like the amount of passive income that a person can bring into their, in, uh, into their estate really de depends on how they treat the income that they already have. And so the easy answer, there's an easy answer and a hard answer, and I'll give you the easy answer, but I would, I would probably guess that you want to dive into the, to the weeds a little bit on it. Um, if you can take the amount of return, the yield, there's two, two sides to this equation. Time is the first one. Yield is the second. That's all there is. If we want to simplify, I'm a teacher, you're a teacher. Teachers are like God's gift to the planet. Like it, teachers right now are undervalued and underpaid. Like they're the most important species. Like if you can teach, you can change the world. And so what we do is we simplify concepts. And there's two elements here, time and yield. People want to get around time. You can't. If you have $100,000 that you invest into the market for 12 seconds, it doesn't matter what your yield is. You're, you're not going to have any passive. You, you know, it doesn't matter. So if you can take the yield percentage, what you really need to do is, is you take the amount of money you want to make. $100,000 a month is $1.2 million per year. It's just 100,000 times 12. You take 1.2 million, you divide that by, let's say a, a yield of 9%, so 0 0.09, and it will give you the number, the figure that you need invested into the markets to achieve that. So just do it right now, $13.3 million. So if you can find 13.3, put it into the market at 9%, you're good. Now, the reason that I believe real estate is such a fascinating uh, asset class is because 9% is like, I don't know many people who are who are like fully invested into uh, real estate properly that are only pulling nine percent out of their investments. When you get into layering of different buckets and different return structures, you get an exponential yield. And exponential yield means whatever your cash flow is, you compound that with appreciation, which you compound that with refinancing. And so we're seeing we're seeing clients right now who, you know, from a cash on cash standpoint, are 15, 16, 17 percent not 9%. So what does that do to, to the amount of money you need? It changes it drastically. So let's say $1.2 million divided by 0.15, you only need $8 million now invested into the market rather than 13. You do 20%, you need even less. So the amount of yield that you can pull out of your, your investments is really important. And uh, the, the thing I try to remember though is you can't rush your way to a defensible portfolio a well-constructed, autonomous, defensible portfolio. You gotta let it take its proper time. So uh, we can go into all of my asset allocations. I'll tell you anything that you wanna know. Um, our portfolio across the board, we're over 50%. Not nine, not 15, not 20, 50. We're over 50. Because uh, we've layered in all of the different returns that are available to us from, a, from an appreciation standpoint, refinancing, uh, debt paid down, cash on cash, um, and then I've personally got a lot of investments that are just really uh, constructed for mitigation. You don't want to put $8 million into the market and then the market crash. So I would rather take a little bit more time, a little bit longer and make sure it's safe than to compress it down and not have a moat. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. 
fifty percent though that that's incredible. Like that definitely caught my attention. But for everyone who's listening, I want them to understand he's taking into account a lot of amazing things that real estate brings to you, right? So leverage the fact that that when that appreciation happens, you can refinance it, pull that extra equity out, and then go use that to multiply it by putting that as a down payment on other properties. The one part, Taylor, that you didn't even speak of, and this is actually the part that first got me finally into real estate was tax savings and the tax benefits of real estate investment. So my CPA tried years ago to tell me when I was making millions, hey, look at this. And at that time I was gung ho, like, no, I'm gonna make millions and real estate is stupid and you know, 7%, 8% is dumb. And you know, I just, I wasn't even ready to listen. And then when I was ready to listen is when I started having to cut these massive checks to the government, pay taxes. And so I called my CPA and said, why aren't you doing your job? I'm, you know, what do I, why do I listen to news and I hear about the rich who don't pay taxes? How do I get to be one of those rich people? Like that, that, that's not me. I'm paying taxes. And he's like, I've been trying to tell you for years, you weren't listening. So that was when I started to understand. So everyone, the thing is with, with real estate, A, there's a huge tax benefit up front. B, a lot of the income you make gets written off through taxes. C, when you sell in the future, you may not even need to sell, you can lend. And there's just, there's huge benefits. And so I love what Taylor says. When you compile all of that, a return of seven, eight, nine percent is so misleading because you're actually making a ton more than that. So Taylor, let's break down your portfolio. Where are you invested? Do you is it all in real estate? Do you do anything other than real estate? And then we'll I'll ask you some other yeah, questions. Yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely do. My largest, my largest allocation right now would be real estate and permanent insurance. Those would be my two biggest. Um, but to your point, it, let me give you some hard, hard tangibles uh, on, on those buckets and those returns. Let's say $150,000 house in, let's say, Kansas City or Charlotte. And I'll, I'll tell you where we're invested in real estate markets too. $150,000 house, um, you're going to put 30 k down for that. Let's leverage it. This is a levered yield. Leverage is so important because you don't end up paying the debt down. Your tenant pays the debt down. You know, wealthy people, I'm sure that you've talked about this topic of inflation, but, or, or, we can go into that if you haven't, like you oh, know, macro yeah. and currency. So it, people in the middle class, they tend to really get hurt by inflation. Inflation makes everything more expensive. If you, you go to the store and uh, you, bread is more expensive, milk is more expensive, gas is more expensive, everything more. But the people at the top, wealthy people, they have inflation as a profit strategy. They're profiting off of inflation because if you can go in and buy a house for $150,000, but only 30 of it is your money, $120,000 of it is debt. That house is going to appreciate for two reasons. Supply and demand is the first reason. And inflation is the second reason. Well, that the differential between what you owe on the house and what the house is, is worth, that's your profit. So, you know, you take dollar cost, uh, cost averaging for the stock market, your average cost basis that you get in versus the amount that the, the portfolio is worth that's your profit. Wealthy people are doing the same thing, but with inflation. And so inflation actually reverses. If you're wealthy, if you can think like a wealthy person, then you can reverse this and inflation becomes a profit stream for you. So $150,000 house, you put $30,000 in, you have $120,000 of debt on the property. Okay. That $30,000, here's what we see. This is, this is off of Kansas City numbers. Every market's a little bit different. $5,000 a year in cash flow, $8,000 a year in appreciation, $3,500-ish in tax savings. That's what you're talking about, like using the depreciation and then $1,500 of that tenant paying your debt down. Let's do the math right now. Like I'm going to add it up right here for you, like 5,000 plus 8,000 plus 3,500 plus 1,500. 
eighteen thousand dollars to sixty percent return. Yeah, there you go. Off of $30,000. And then, you know, I told somebody this morning, because I'm writing a book on this uh, called Levels of Wealth. And, and it's like so freaking fun because I'm getting to describe some of these concepts. It, levered real estate is like, let's say, hey, I've got a, I've got a bank account with $150,000 in it. And I'm going to give it to you if you give me $30,000. You would do it. It's a freaking good trade. But here's the, here's the situation. You can't use all $150,000 until the year 25. Every year from now until 25 years, we're going to unlock a little bit more of that bank account. And I'm going to pay you $5,000 a year just for taking ownership of the bank account. Oh, and by the way, every year, more money gets added to the bank account. So 25 years goes by, that account's not $150,000 anymore. It's $250,000. You got paid $5,000 for 25 years and you get the whole bank account. It's literally a, a switching arounds of your P&L so that the tenant is paying off all of your liabilities and you're getting all the upside uh, for the, the piece of property. And so this is something, you can do this in multifamily, you can do this in storage, you can do it in single family. The reason I like single family so much is because my bet is that humans will always wanna have a roof over their head to live under and there will always be a percentage of people who want to live next to the right school. They want to live in the school zones. They want to live next to the hospital. And so when you look at risk mitigation, what, what we're saying when we buy a, a 300 unit multifamily apartment, you, you're, you're reducing your risk exposure down to like, I don't know, 30,000 square feet. You know, uh, it's, it's a lot. And with single family, I can get that risk exposure down to five, six, 700 square feet. Uh, because I'm actually sprinkling through the zip codes. And so we'll have, we'll have properties where it's like we're scattered around the metro and we've got a percentage of allocation around school zones, hospitals. And so to me, the risk profile is a lot more palatable with single family than it is multifamily. That said, I have great friends who do multifamily, but this is the reality. Like when we say 50%, it's not just like just a random number. It's, I just did it for you right now. It's all of the buckets layered on top of each other. Yeah, no, it's a, it's an amazing way to look at it. And so everyone, there you go. You take, when you hear real estate, you hear seven, eight, nine, ten percent You go, ah, but it's actually 50 if you take a minute to understand. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper, Taylor, into your real estate. But uh, you said your two greatest holdings of your overall passive investments are real estate and permanent insurance. Can you explain permanent insurance? Like what you mean, like life insurance, right? Yep. Yeah, like whole life insurance would be permanent. Term is term is what a lot of people get because it's cheap and they're only interested in the death benefit. Yeah. You, you should have term insurance. Like if, if you don't have, if you listen to this and you don't have term insurance or you don't have any form of life insurance, um, you're silly. Like you're just silly. You know, you, you don't, it means that due to maybe a lack of education or whatever, uh, you're not making choices that are good for the people around you. Um, whole life is, is, it's permanent, it, it's forever. And so whole life includes a death benefit, just like term does. It's more expensive though, because it has a cash component inside of it. So you'll hear financial gurus who are like, ah, oh, don't do whole life, whole life is a scam. Uh, well, it's because they're just, they're, you know, they're, they're relegating content to the, to the poor and the middle class. And so when you are a person of means and the number one job for you is to, is to convert your fiat, fiat money into assets, you can put money into a whole life policy fund it all the way, that money's going to grow at 6% annually, and you can pull 90% out of it as cash. It's, a, it's creative collateralization. So I put a lot of money into whole life. 
my family is, you know, set for life, no matter what, like if anything were to happen to me, you know, my wife would have just hundreds of millions of dollars. And while I'm living, which is the important part, it is also an asset. Term insurance is only beneficial to you if you die. Yeah. It's a cost and it benefits if you die. Whole life is an asset class. So let me ask you this question about, um, uh, about uh, life insurance. So I definitely, both my wife and I have it. We, we have whole life. We have actually great plans. And one of the other things everyone about some of these life insurance plans is that they, they can get invested. They, don't, they can't go down. So it's like the market might go down, but you're, you're, you have a, you have a baseline. So you, you will always gain X percent in stop loss. Exactly. Now you might not think that's a big deal, but uh, study what that does in 20, 30 years. It's massive. It's massive. So my issue is I can't have a lot of it because of my health issues in the past. So I, I got what I got. And even that was like wizardry that was done by my amazing agent. Um, one question I have is so, and without going too detailed, because I feel like we might go down a rabbit hole that the listeners may not benefit from, but do you fully fund it? Like I, I put in a good amount of money every every single year, but I have I could take the seven year endowment or whatever they call it and just like max load it in this year. I've been thinking about it, but I'm, I'm like back and forth on that. So my guess is you fully fund it, don't you? Just as much as you can pop in. Yeah, but I the way that mine are constructed is you don't want to mech the policy. And so um, the, there's a limit to how much you can put in. Yeah. So for me, all, all of mine are on like permanent, they're on plans. So I've got a 10 year, a 12 year and a 15 year. Um, and I pay a lot of them. Two of them I pay monthly. One of them I actually premium finance. Um, so that's an annual due. But mm -hmm. I, I pay them up to the limit. I don't, I, you don't fund them all the way in terms of the cash value, because the policies, the way that mine are written, won't actually let you do that. Yeah, they won't. So there's always a limit because if you cross that limit, the IRS now no longer, it considers it a modified endowment contract or something. So what I meant is, do you hit the limit though? So what the what that limit is, you, you fund in as much as you can up front, um, which is the reason why this year I've been thinking about doing that because I did some calculations and long-term it made sense. Again, if you're wondering everyone, it's because that stop loss, it's because you can't lose long-term, man, that just makes a lot of money. Um, Taylor, roughly of your total portfolio, what percentage would you say is in real estate and what percentage would you say is in permanent insurance? 70 and 30. 70 and these, are, these are like tangible, you know, a lot of my net worth right now is in the valuation of the businesses as well. So um, this would be for like genuine, tangible asset book um 70 is in real estate and and so you don't have i guess you're not really doing market or stocks because that's anyways being i guess that's in your permanent insurance that's it's probably yeah what are you in in your permanent in whole life that's just a guaranteed six percent right are you're not in any kind of index funds or anything like that uh the whole life policies that i have no they they do follow the markets they just have a stop loss on them so they don't go negative i do okay. have um i have a portfolio of marketable securities it's just really small it's maybe like 1%. And okay. uh, at, at some point in the future, it, this is the problem with, this is the problem with 2021. Like this is the entire problem is I think that the system is pretty rigged at the moment. Now I'm not, I'm not licensed and I'm not giving financial advice and you can't listen to me uh, based on anything I'm about to tell you. However, if you, if you go to the S&P 500, you denominate it by, US dollar, which is a form of fiat currency. 
it's shooting up, right? If you denominate it based on real estate, it's crashing. Based on Bitcoin, it's crashing. Ethereum, crashing. Like every sound uh, store of, of value, the markets are crashing all around us. But we're, we're hacking it by, you know, manipulating the value of fiat currency. And so I have, uh, I, I do have marketable securities. I'm just not a huge believer or proponent in them right now for me because of what I can do in real estate, because of what we can do in crypto. And I think that it's so boring. Like, I'm just like, I don't want, like, I don't want to put money into that, uh, especially in light of the inflation rate and what's happening to fiat currencies uh, in our country, but also all around the world. It doesn't make any sense. So the, the, let me give you something right here just to think about, though. People prioritize diversification uh, be, because they lack intelligence. People who are actually intelligent enough to read are, are most oftentimes going to prioritize and over-index on optionality and mitigation, not diversification. So what is diversification? It's just spreading things out over a smorgasbord of things because you don't know what's going to win. Mitigation is being strategic and saying, um, like there's an area of risk here. And so I'm going to invest in this over here. That's, that's a counterbalance. It's inversely correlated so that there's proper coverage. So here's an example. I have, we have hundreds of properties in our holdings firm, but I also have a collection of personal properties and there's risk associated with that, uh, such as vacancy, such as maintenance. I mean, you know, all this, cause you're getting, you're in real estate too. So there's like, there's all these risks, but I have uh, an amount of investment into a fund that has a non-variable return that is equal to my maximum loss on the single family. That's mitigation. It's finesse. It's perfectly correlated to what my risk profile is rather than just being like, you know what, I'm just going to invest in like 17 different things that I don't understand um, because I don't want to lose money. There is a proper place for diversification, but only if it's strategically deployed for the purposes of mitigation. That's a thing to think about. Makes, makes perfect sense. You're absolutely right. And, um, you know, when I was talking to my own wealth advisors who I've worked with for years and have taught me, they said to me, they said, go ahead and pull up the top 50 richest people in the world and tell me which of them is diversified. Every single one of them put their eggs in a basket, got damn good at it, and then multiplied it. And so it's, it's crazy. But if you look at the top 10 richest people in the world, I think all 10 of them are like different industries. So it's not like there's one way to do it. You just have to figure out the way that's right. And you're absolutely correct. For me also, the more and more, I've been a little slower to adopt over. Um, so I've been doing a kicking and screaming. And suddenly this year, my love affair with real estate began um, because I, I just kind of the symphony came together for me. So you mentioned crypto as well. Uh, I know you've posted a lot about NFTs. Um, I share your enthusiasm. Sometimes it gets sucked into it. So I try to stay away a little bit because it's a black hole. But what, how much do, are you, are you very bullish on crypto? Do you have a bunch of money in it or a little just to play? Like, where's your take on those? Uh, yeah, like probably right now, maybe half a million. Um, so nothing spectacular or crazy. However, I do believe that when you look at like, so if you, I'm reading a book right now called The Token Economy. There's, there's two conversations to be had. The conversation one is, is crypto is a form of currency or a store of value. And then there's the second conversation, which is, uh, the blockchain or the network as a form of utility to replace the the freaking internet like it's going to replace web 2.0 and so there are kind of two conversations that are sort of merged together but people get them confused like somebody sent me an article that cnbc was 
doing is some guy was on there talking about cryptocurrencies uh, when he was really talking about tokens. It's like, you're an idiot. You don't understand the difference between a blockchain and uh, a store value. They're not the same things. Over the next like probably year and a half, I'll have several seven figures uh, in crypto because I feel like it is where the world is being. So every once in a while, man, you feel it. And it's like, oh, the world doesn't have a choice. Like we're not, we're not like deliberating about this. Like this is happening. Um, and you see that happening with like China created their own digital coin. And like the Federal Reserve says that they're not going to do anything, but who knows like what's going to happen there. But you look, Bitcoin is like, it's inevitable. It's going to, I mean, if people don't want to use a Federal Reserve token, they're not going to use it. What are you going to do? Throw everyone in jail if they don't use a token? And we did that in, in the early 1900s, if you didn't know that. We literally said, we're going to send you to jail if you don't turn in your gold. Because we had to get off of the gold reserve into a form of fiat currency. They can't do that again. It's not going to work. And so I believe like, yeah, crypto is the future for sure. Um, I don't believe that it's all going to be Bitcoin or it's all going to be Ethereum. But I think that different uh, blockchains are going to provide different benefits and different utilities. But Bitcoin right now is at the top of the it's apex like right now, because it's the only thing that's strictly created for a store value. It's the hardest money in the history of the world. We can't get more of it. And I think people are starting to realize that you can shoot a big, you can shoot Bitcoin you know, across the world to a country in South Africa and the government can't do a damn thing about it. They can't stop it. They can't control it. China tried to shut down Bitcoin. What did it do? It just pillaged the Bitcoin mining power of China. They shot themselves in the foot. And somebody was telling me like, I think the government's going to shut it down. It's like, no, 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 you don't understand. The Bitcoin will shut the government down. Like it's a reversal. It's, it's a live, it's a live human virus it is designed to protect itself at all costs there is no shutting it down it's not happening so well, i'll probably um, start ramping it up i think the conversation of it getting shut down we're past it now it would have it would have happened that's what i was saying when bitcoin was 50 dollars, and i give full credit to dan lehman who was trying his butt to get me to agree and to acknowledge this is we're talking seven eight years ago i remember when dan lehman came to work with us he he asked can you please pay me in bitcoin and i was just like what is this rubbish like get out of here no you know and then he was what's that you and me both i feel like that's all of us we're like damn it yeah. why did i get into this earlier exactly and i had it he had he was in front of me when it was like 50 or 100 dollars, and he was like you need to do this trust me and so today, well, first of all, I understand it. And that, that I think for those who argue against it or think it's, you know, fictitious money or whatever, you don't understand it. Once you get into the tech and understand it, then you have a moment where you go, holy crap, we need this. Like, and then all of a sudden you're, you're a believer, right? So um, completely agree with you. Um, you know, starting to wrap things up. One question I have for you is your real estate. Let's break that down. I know you love single family. Some of your advice on single family is very counter to a lot of the advice of people who put millions into real estate. So I get this advice from my advisors. They're like, you need to do bigger deals, not buy a bunch of hundred thousand, $120,000, hundred fifty thousand $150,000 single families. Cause then you have to just manage that huge portfolio. And I'm like, I see the, I see that. I see the value of that advice. But then I look at you and I'm like, it seems of, first of all, of your seven of your real estate, how much of it is single family? Is it all single family or do you have other assets as well? Other classes? Everything except for like one 10 unit uh okay. complex. So so that that's I mean, that's definitely by design. Talk to that a little bit. Why you 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 did speak to single family a little bit. You said, hey, look, but you how many properties do you have? It's higher yields, first of all. 
it is a easier you can you can you can diversify easier inside of your risk profile um and it's easier to get in and out of so your optionality is higher so we put everything in blocks like llc's so one else llc per two million dollars of real estate so i could go out and i could sell everything i have in alabama in a week you know like it's very accessible like there's i don't know how many people in the united states could afford a two million dollar llc but it's like a, it's a lot like a lot of people could do that versus you're like 120 million dollar complexes you've got blackstone blackrock like a couple hedge funds like nobody's you reduce down your market when the asset cost is 120 million dollars right yeah. the the key here is figuring out your acquisition strategy and so you can put a portfolio loan on 20 properties boom one loan an insurance policy on 20 properties boom one insurance policy it's starting to sound a lot like multifamily isn't it yeah. one loan one insurance policy and the difference is with with if you have a, a complex that has 50 units in it you're going to put property management on site and so they're going to live at the place they're going to manage it they're going to do a really good job most cases if there's good management you have to find the right property managers to make single family work that's the that's the big thing so we've got financing coverage and then uh management and if you can figure out those three things then you can make single family look a lot like multifamily. you just take 30 houses, 30 doors that have one loan, one policy, and one management company. It's relatively similar to a multifamily complex. Got it. Okay. That's, I love that way of thinking about it. You know, um, it, there's, there's a lot of misinformation, and I've been getting cleared about it too, as far as like how you just said, 30 homes, one loan. Uh, when I first started asking about this portfolio loans a year, a year and a half ago, I was told that doesn't exist. No one wants to do that for a single family. I've since come around and realized it does exist. And you just gotta, you gotta be able, able to talk to the right people. Um, Taylor, we could talk, go ahead. Here's why, here's why we're not teaching it. Yeah. That's why the, the guys who are actually inside of it doing single family, I have no interest in, I think, I think we talked about this because I was going to do an event and then it's like, oh, I can't do the event. Sorry. It was when we refunded you and a bunch of other people. It's because like, I don't have time to teach it. And I don't really know if I want to teach it. Like at the end of the day, um, there's so much education around multifamily. Why? Because they're raising money for syndicates. So you always sort of have to know like why someone's doing what they're doing as well. Like they're kind of creating their own wealth partners, so to speak, which is totally fine. But there is a big gap in the market, I believe. You can, you can, you should take this and run with it. I'll support you however you want to teach the single family way for big players because it can be done. It should be done. But if you go onto the internet or try to find it, it's like you've experienced it yourself. There's nobody teaching it properly. Yeah. No, you're right. Absolutely. Well, listen, Taylor, it's been absolutely epic. Thank you for your time. We could go on for, for hours and I'm sure in the future we'll continue to talk. Lots more to learn. Where can people go to follow more of you, your thoughts, your teachings, you know, basically to connect more with you, please give us URLs, social media handles. How can people follow you? Yeah, if you, uh, probably the easiest hub, if you go to taylorawelch.com slash links, L-I-N-K-S, you can kind of see everything that I'm doing, uh, all of my projects that are active right now. Twitter, I'm very active on Twitter. I'm on Facebook as well, but taylorawelch.com slash links will take you to like the nucleus and you can see all of my projects. That's awesome. Everyone, there you go. You heard it, taylorawelch.com forward slash links. I really cannot recommend it enough. If you want to start learning higher level thought, thought ways to think about wealth, 
Taylor. Follow him definitely on Twitter, and uh, that's one place. And I, I follow him on Facebook, so I you know usually hear his thoughts, and I, I can relate a lot with them. But any education, anything he's putting out, take it very seriously. And of course, if you're watching us on YouTube right now, make sure you hit subscribe, leave a comment, click thumbs up, and make sure if you're listening to us on any other platform, please do subscribe and leave us a comment on that one as well. Onikpodcast.com to binge listen to all the past episodes. L-U-R-N.com to join our entrepreneurial revolution. Thank you for being here, everybody. This is Onik reminding you when life pushes you, stand straight, smile, and push it the heck back. And Taylor, thank you so much. You got it. Thanks for listening to The Fighting Entrepreneur with your host, Onyx Singal.